So we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. We've been looking at this for a few weeks, and I kind of want to just bring us up to speed in case you haven't been with us. A couple of really simple things, and we're going to pray and get right into the Word this morning. But we remember the book of Acts comes on the heels of the book of Luke, right, which is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in fact, already in Acts, we've seen that Jesus is not only raised from the dead, but he walked amongst his believers. He, he showed them himself. He taught them. And then he was ascended into heaven. And that we've already remembered through the scriptures in the last few weeks, that Jesus was ascended at the right hand of the Father. And he said, wait in Jerusalem for the promise, the gift my Father is going to give to you that I've told you about. Well, last week, you'll, if you were here, you remember that last week we had this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit where God saw fit to pour out his Holy Spirit upon his people and all these uh, radical things begun to happen in the church, okay? So we kind of talked about this idea that people were following Jesus in their lives. Like they were ordinary people. Jesus said, hey, come follow me, just like me and you. And there came this moment in their lives through obedience and God's perfect timing where he poured out his Holy Spirit upon his people and these amazing things started to happen. And in fact, the rest of the book of Acts unfolds from what happens in Acts 1 and 2. I would even say that the rest of the book of Acts is dependent on everything that happened in Acts 1 and 2. Were those things not to have happened, none of the rest of the history of the church would even be a thing. Right? So it's all rooted in the reality of Jesus' ascension into heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, sitting the promised Holy Spirit that he said, my Father's going to send to you whenever I'm at his right hand, and now this indwelling of the Spirit among God's people who are called the church. And so today we're going to continue in that story, and we're going to hear uh, the next kind of phase of worship for the church. But I'm going to do what we always do. I'm going to pray because we believe that right now where you sit is a direct continuation from the moments back then the people of God experienced, right? Like you are here as part of the lineage of faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to pray that he would rule this morning, that his Holy Spirit would teach us, and that we would learn and grow because of him. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for the chance we have to be together in your house with your people, worshiping you just like those did so many years ago. We pray a prayer of thanks, uh, as we've heard this morning so well said, for all the abundance you've given to us, all the opportunity you've given to us, all of yourself that you've given to us in this life. We pray that if we don't see it, you would give us eyes to see your hand at work. We pray, Father God, that we would be uh, quickening obedience, be willing to learn and to submit to your will in our lives. And ultimately, Father, we know that's where freedom is found, is in your will for us. And so help us to be obedient to your will. Today, we ask that you would inspire us to understand your word that is inspired by you, that we would uh, rightly regard it, that we would uh, consider it carefully, learn from it, challenge each other with it, and then grow together until the day that we meet you face to face. We love you so much, and we thank you for the chance to be together this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to work out of Acts 3 today. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 3, I think it's on page like 760. Yeah, 760. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, you can grab one off the chair row. By the way, if you don't have a Bible of your own, talk to me after service. We'd love to get one to you that you can kind of just take and have and use every day. So we'd love you to have that. I'm going to read some of these verses and then we're going to talk through. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. 
Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. And so the man gave his attention to them, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astounded, astonished and came to, running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. So here we have this first story of what's happening after the uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of believers is happening. They're worshiping together. But then we have this moment where Peter and John are going back into the temple courts, right? This would be the opportunity to like go into church, right? They're going to church again. You remember that at the end of Acts chapter 2, it said that they were meeting together daily, devoting themselves for the teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread into prayer. So the, their faith was not just the temple worship only kind of faith, right? But when the community was gathering in the temple, they were going to go also. Not only were they going to go to the temple at a certain day, but they were going to go at a certain time. You'll see that it says they were going at the hour of prayer. I found that was fascinating, right? That the hour of prayer is 3 p.m. That's called the ninth hour in the original text. I, I hadn't heard that before. I was just, that's astonishing to me. I'm like, why would it be 3 in the afternoon, the hour of prayer? But that's what was happening. So you have a, a certain people, John and Peter, a certain place, the temple, uh, a certain time, 3 p.m., and then we have a certain man at the gate. And all of these pieces kind of set up to create this perfect storm of God's timing. As a matter of fact, if you look, it says a certain place is actually called, a gate called beautiful. There was a man crippled from birth that was being carried to the temple gate called beautiful. So the first thing I want to talk about with you, and I'm going to kind of hopefully lay this out, right? But that... Um, God fills our lives with beautiful opportunities. See, the funny thing about the, the temple gate called beautiful is that no one knows where the temple gate called beautiful was. <laughs> like, they looked into the history books. There's this guy, Josephus. He wrote a bunch of history about Israelites. Josephus doesn't call any temple gate beautiful. Only the Christian church and only here in Acts Three is the gate called beautiful. And it's referred to it twice. You heard it right. Once that the place they call beautiful, and then later on, hey, that's the guy who set out the gate called beautiful. Like it was known in the community as the beautiful gate. There's some people who think it was beautiful because it looked beautiful, right? Beautiful archways, maybe the double gate with the, the vaulted ceilings and the painted, and it just invited you into a place of worship. There's other ways you can interpret that, though. That it was the gate of seasons. The, the root word for beautiful actually means timing. It's the gate of perfect timing. And I want to think about that as we think about the scriptures today, about God's perfect timing for his people. 
So we know there's this gate that is referred to as beautiful. It would have been known that way when it was recorded in Acts. It wasn't, some people have said it's an adjective, you know, like they just explain the gate was the beautiful gate, right? But, but there's, um, it's recorded here for a purpose by the author, this gate called beautiful. So then we, we have this, this certain man, it says, right? Now there was uh, a certain man, that's the way the text actually reads, who was crippled from birth. That's crippled from birth sounds so awkward, doesn't it, these days? Uh, another translation might say he was lame from birth. But I want to talk specifically about his infirmity. It seems that since the time he's been born, he couldn't walk. That was the explicit infirmity that he had. It meant that he, he could not stand. He, he couldn't get himself around. So a certain man who was, who was crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful and he was put there every day to beg from those who were going to the temple course. Now begging sounds bad, but it means to ask for alms, right? It meant to ask for mercy. And so if you, cause I don't know if you see people who are begging these days. Have you, do you see the people holding the cardboard sign at the on-ramps of the highways, the off-ramps of the highways, Right? Why are they doing it there? There's this opportunity to see a lot of people and hopefully someone's going to have mercy on me. That's their hope. Hopefully someone's going to see my sign and they're going to they're give me a little something and get me through the day. And that was this guy's life. But wait, from the time he was born until now, a grown man, he had been unable to walk you see, the funny thing for me about the guy at the temple gate called Beautiful is not that he's being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Well, that's pretty amazing, actually, that his friends did it for so long, honestly, his family. But I was, I was noticing this morning, we've got a couple of babies here, right? Like Lance said. Um, and watching a baby being carried, it's, it's cute. I mean, it's adorable, <laughs> right? For a while, but, th- but then you grow and, and you don't want someone carrying you and then you become to feel like probably you would go like to the why me phase. Like why me? Because the fact that he couldn't walk wasn't a Sunday problem or a Saturday problem or a Friday night problem, right? It wasn't a once a week temple problem that he couldn't walk. It was a full time problem. That meant that like Monday through Thursday or Sunday through Thursday, however the calendar worked, right? That, that you were there in the house and couldn't walk. The people had to bring you food. They had to bring you to the table. They had to bring you everywhere. They, with, without the compassion of other people, you couldn't go anywhere, ever. See, we, we can kind of take this guy and go, I mean, yeah, we've heard the story. But every day of his life, since birth, he couldn't walk. Something that so many of us take for granted. It's remarkable. So he's being carried to this, and he's being put there to ask for alms, to ask for mercy. I don't know if they had ten cups. I don't know if he had a hat. I don't know if he had a sign. But he's there, sitting outside the place of worship, asking, will you have mercy on me? There's a bigger question being asked, of course. But will uh, will God have mercy? There's this funny thing about this text that I get, you know, that like people do, you know, Family Bible, we're a portable church, it's kind of a weird setup or whatever, you know, but we actually do have a phone system that calls us and it all works together and it seems like we're a, a, a regular organization with a regular building and all that and people call and say, hey, can, can you help us? 
And sometimes it feels a bit to me like, man, you, like every time you have a need, you come to the church, but then like we don't see you, right? Like, I mean, talking people who are just passing through town, they'll call every church in town. We have a ministry alliance here for that very purpose because there was enough times people were passing through, they would call every church and so we're like, hey, let's partner together and help people together. But there's something else at work. Because as we see demonstrated here so long ago, if there's anyone in the world that's going to have mercy on someone, it ought to be the people of God. <laughs> if there's anyone else that's going to help the person sitting at the Metrolink when you're going down the stairs, it ought to be the people of God. If there's anyone else that's going to stop and pay attention for a second about the reality of what's happening around us, it ought to be the people of God. And this is the, the condition that this man's working under. If anyone ought to see the need that I have, it ought to be the people going to temple worship. Isn't that funny how it kind of interrupts your day? I got a job, man. I got places to be. I'm important. I got things going on. I know how the world works. I don't have time for this. Well, we see what happens. We ought to pay attention to the words, right? It says, when he saw, by the way, check this out. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But I want you to see, it says, while he was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, right? So he's not even on the ground yet, and he's already scanning for people who might help, who might help him. And it says that he saw Peter and John. And here's the funny thing about Peter and John. It seems they're kind of lingering around. You know, the word there says he saw them about to enter. And we assume that they're all walking together and he's just asking them in line, right? But here's the thing. He ain't going inside. He's going to get dropped at the gate. He's about at the end of his trip. But for them, they're going on inside. But they're kind of mingling around outside of worship, right? They're kind of hanging out outside the temple. This beautiful gate. Maybe they were even looking at it. Or maybe they were just going, what a glorious day to be in Jerusalem, you know? And this guy asked them for something. He looked straight at them. Let's see here. Wait, about the end. He asked them for money, right? He, and this, again, money is alms. It doesn't say money. It says alms. He says, mercy. Will you have mercy on me? Will you have alms for me? It was a, it was a normal uh, religious practice to give alms to the poor, Matter of fact, it was part of the reason you had a job was so you could help people who didn't have a job. That was part of the purpose of work in Scripture. But I want you to see what happens, right? Well, actually, before that, I, I do want to say this. Well, let's just, let's just read it together. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money, and Peter looked at him, looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. I just want to talk about that for a second. The two looks, okay? The first is this. Somehow, for some reason, in the moment, Peter paid attention to the guy at the gate called Beautiful. The words are not the same there. When it says, when Peter says, look at us, because we're looking at you, hey, look at me, look at you, look at me, look at you. That's not what's happening here, right? Peter somehow leaned into this guy's situation. It means he focused intently. It wasn't blepo looking with your eyes. It was seeing something that needed to be done. It was seeing the, the, the need that the guy had, right? It was bigger than just recognizing that's a beggar at the gate. It says that the word implies that he leaned in toward him. He focused his attention, and then the word says, as did John. So both Peter and John, those are dudes who ran to the tomb. Remember, while well, the beloved disciple and Peter, we'll assume it's John, ran to the tomb, right, to see it. He's learned in his following of Jesus to lean in the situations and see what God might be doing. This is the gift he gives to the beggar at the gate. 
Beggar says, alms, mercy. And Peter looks. And then Peter says this to the guy, look at us. Now that's blepo, and blepo means behold. <laughs> like, look. <laughs> Why? Why? I think that uh, this is the second thing I would kind of um, throw out. <clears throat> Often we expect too little, right? We, we don't believe God's timing is perfect, the beautiful gate, the perfect season. And secondly, we ask too little. The guy's been doing this his whole life. And he's been conditioned to believe that this is all he can hope for. All I can hope for is mercy from people who get to go into the temple. All I can hope for is that someone will finally help me out. All I can hope for is have enough for today or enough for my needs for the week. That's all I can hope for. And Peter says, behold, look, look at us. And the man looks at him. Check it out. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention. He did it. And look at what it says. He was expecting to get something from them. See, this encounter so far, he knows it. I don't know if he does, though. Maybe people just dismissively give something on their way. They can't stop and really see the need. And so they're going to cruise. They're gonna, they got to go to temple. They got to go to worship. But he's, he's got, these two guys say, look at us. And he looks at them. Okay, all of a sudden, and I want to talk about this for just a second. He breaks through this normal transactional relationship. But do you know what transactional relationships are? You do for me, I do for you, right? Let me think of some ways that we might get, um, get conditioned. Uh, you're sitting at a restaurant. The server comes to the table. What would you like to drink? Do you look at them? Sometimes, right? Uh, do you look for the name badge? Sometimes. Do you use their name? Sometimes. How are we doing tonight? You ever heard that question from the server? Do you think they want to know? It's a transactional relationship. Um, I'm here to give you food. You're here to give me money, and let's get out of here, right? That, that's what's happening here. It's a transactional relationship. He's outside the temple gate, and he's, he's mercy, and, and most people go plunk, and they're on their way at best, and some just ignore. Go, 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 right? You know, Whew. Don't see those guys for another week. There's this thing that they do that I want us to understand a bit, that whenever Peter and John look at him and say, look at us, that they break this transactional relationship and they see someone. They, they make him see them. We're people. We're, we're God's people. Like you can, and I just want to say that that's something you can do if you dare to do it. To break out of that transactional relationship stuff and say, wait, how am I today? <laughs> how am I this evening? How are you this evening? I, you know what I'm saying, right? Like, we just have such a tendency to take people for granted, ignoring them. We say words, but we don't have relationship. This could be all over, not just waitressing. It could be people at work. It could, it could be people in your household. Transactional relationships. List of things to do. <laughs> not people to be engaged. So it seems that they kind of throw this down. They say, hey, look at us. And there begins to be this deeper thing happening that's, ha that's going on. Now, uh, I want to read what happens because I think he was expecting too little, the beggar at the gate. But he was expecting something from them, so credit for that. Like, hey, they're going to do, the, you don't stop and talk to the person and not do something for them, right? I mean, that's the hope that you're going to somehow engage with them in a real way. And then 
Listen to Peter's response in verse 6. He said to the man, silver or gold I do not have. And I go, why? Why? I just want to say a couple things quickly about this. First of all, in Acts 2, we know that the believers were sharing all possessions together so that no one had a need. So Peter didn't have his own money anymore. That'd be my argument. He left it all back with the commune, you know what I mean? All the believers. His money's in the pot with everybody else, but he's going to the temple to pray. Something else I want to mention to you is you remember when Jesus was in the temple flipping over tables? He was doing that because people were coming in and exchanging money for birds and all this, and Peter wasn't doing any of that. Now, I don't know how much there is to that or not to that, but he wasn't coming to the temple to do anything but to pray that day. His intention in coming was to pray. He didn't have money to buy a uh, sacrifice. He, he was just coming to pray and at the hour of prayer. Fair enough. And so he doesn't have any money. So, the, so he gets there, this guy, and the one thing the guy's going, can I get some alms? He's like, I don't have anything. But then my favorite verse here, but what I have. See, because he's never without something, Peter. He always has something to give. And he says, what I do have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, look at the specificity, walk. What? I have no money for you. Money for food, money for the week. I have no money for you. But I have something for you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. See what happens here? What's the need? Alms for the poor? What's the need? The need's to walk. The need's been to walk since the day he was born. Everyone's given him this kind of thing. No, what does he need? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, look at the specificity. Walk, he just commands it. And then look at the next verse. Taking the man by his right hand. Why his right hand? Why? Taking by his right hand, he lifts the man up. That's what the word says. I mean, the dude was carried there, right? But Peter takes him by the right hand and he lifts the man up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles become strong. And he jumps to his feet. And the word there means like a spring bursting forth from the ground, right? This isn't a casual like, whoa. He like leapt up upon this command. And then I want you to see what else he did. He began to walk around. It says he parapateo, one of my favorite Greek words because I'm a nerd. He jumped to his feet and he began to parapateo, he began to walk around. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Huh? Walking and jumping and praising God. Wait a minute. This guy is thinking the best I can hope for is some coins in the pot. And he got healed. And his absolute response to healing is leaping and standing. The word actually says he jumped up and stood. <laughs> like something that you and I go, what's the, look, I'm standing here right now. Who cares, right? If you haven't done it your whole life, huge. It's huge. And he begins to stand and begins to walk around and he begins to jump and begins to praise God. And I, I want to talk about that next. Because we can see this miracle and say, what is the purpose of the miracle, right? We talked about the beautiful gate, the timing of God, and how God's timing is absolutely perfect, and we ought to believe that. And what that means is that God had intended this moment, his whole life, this moment, this moment right here in the temple courts, that this man will be healed. 
on a day he was asking for money. And so in this perfect time, in this perfect way, his response is telling. It's that miracles are for God's glory. You say, well, it wasn't bad for that guy either. You're right, it wasn't. <laughs> but that ain't the point. <laughs> the right response to a miracle of God in your life is to praise God for it. Right? Like, that is the intent of a miracle in our lives. And often we may say, well, I haven't seen a miracle. And I would argue that you have. I would argue that you have, because I have. And I don't mean always these uh, supernatural. I think it all is supernatural. But we, we have these miracles every day. And is our natural response, we have, I mean, you know, do you pray for things? And whenever God answers a prayer, is your natural response to go praise God? Or is your natural response to go next on my list of things I want to pray for, <laughs> right? I mean, do you think this guy who was thinking at the gate every day, he's like, okay, the next thing I want now is I want a, a job, <laughs> you know? Like, is that his first response? Well, his first response is praise God. And not only is he praising God, but I'm sure he's praising God in a way that people can't ignore, Right? He's like, praise the Lord. I'm telling you, I have seen brothers and sisters who do this so much better than me. Everything in their life is a miracle. And they say, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. This is the right response in our lives, from big to small. Whatever God is doing, we should praise him for it. That's, that's the goal, that's the purpose. And, and when we make it, about us, we missed the point. The point is to praise God. Look at what the guy does. It says, and he went with them. I love that. It doesn't say that they invited him or anything. You know, he just went with them. I'm going. Matter of fact, in a minute, you're going to hear, we read it already. He clung to them. <laughs> he was hanging on to Peter and John. He's like, I'm not letting go of you. But all the way in, he goes into the temple courts. Why is this a big deal? Uh, those of you who are, who, who, some of you may know this already, but the likelihood is that because of his ailment since he was a child, he wasn't allowed into the temple courts. Because the temple courts is for perfection. It's not for those who are lame or wounded or unclean. And so if you're thought to be unclean or lame or wounded, you have to wait outside, right? So it wasn't just that, that they were going to go to the temple, uh, the gate called Beautiful, because it was a best place to see people. It was as far as he could go, probably. He probably couldn't go farther. But the minute he's healed, the minute he's whole, the minute he can walk, he jumps and leaps and shouts for joy and heads inside to the temple. Because <laughs> he can go. <laughs> see, he's invited in now. He's allowed to go. And he goes into the temple to worship, and that's exactly the point of the healing. He can now worship God. He's allowed to go in. And to praise the Lord. What a scene that must have been. To come and to get to enter the temple. You've heard your whole life how glorious and beautiful it is. But as far as you can go is to the outside gate. You could just see down the hall and go, man, it sounds cool in there. You could hear over the walls, but you couldn't be in. And now all of a sudden, bam, you're inside with all the people of God. And you're like, yeah, I made it in here. And everyone's bored to death, right? Everyone's like, we come here every week, man. I come here every day. <laughs> He's like, I can't believe I made it. Like, that's the, the witness. Leaping and praising God and walking. Things that we all take for granted. It says in verse 9, 
when all the people saw him walking and praising God, look, they saw him. <laughs> you can't miss this guy. They knew he was the guy that used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. As a matter of fact, some of them had probably had that experience that morning of walking by him and giving him something or walking by him and ignoring him. But they had definitely knew who the guy was. He was known to them. And it says they knew he was the guy that you sat at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to them because this couldn't happen happen it gave the people inside the hall of worship pause they're stunned i said it last week uh i've said it before but this awe-inspiring reality is the truth of who god is we ought to be in awe of him we ought to be amazed by god and if we're not amazed by god we ought to figure out why we don't understand how awesome he is but they clearly see the sign they clearly recognize it here it is in verse 11 while peter uh i'm sorry while the beggar held on to peter and john you see all the way he's he's hanging on to these guys i'm going to hang out with these guys now and see what's going on all the people were astonished and they came running to him to them in the place called solomon's colonnade i'm not gonna get into this it's just a space inside the worship temple right um i think it's outside of the women's court so it's like, it's like inside the gate, but not quite, in, and it's going to get progressively holier as you go in. But that's where they are. So all these people can gather at, the, at Solomon's colonnade with them to see and be amazed at what's happened to this beggar at the temple gate. And when Peter saw this, he said, now you're going to see him answer some questions in verse 12. Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why are you stunned that this could happen? And then he says this, which I think is instructive. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or by our own godliness we have made this man walk? So the next thing I want to talk about is that when God does things like this, it's not our power or our godliness. I think this is important to understand you know, in this guy's life, it would have been so easy to go, Peter, John, you guys are the bomb. Like, you guys got it. You guys got the magic God powers. And Peter instinctively says, why do you look at us like we did this? And he says explicitly, it's not our power. And it's not our godliness. I want to say um, two things about it for us. Because I think this is where we screw this up all the time when we're seeking God's glory right we want to somehow be the person manifesting the power right we believe it is about us it's by our power by our holiness um we believe maybe there's someone in your life that you want god to do a work in and and you believe that if i could just um focus enough of the holy spirit's power if i could just focus enough if i could just pray enough right if i could just make a few more good decisions if i could just be right in that moment god would see my good behavior and bless this person that i'm praying for and so we think it's by our power or by our own holiness so how does this work itself out someone says i know you go to church will you pray for me well we do pray for people but is it by our power that anything's going to happen is it by our holiness? Does anything going to happen because of that? It's not. And Peter says, absolutely, this has nothing to do with us. There's another way I want to talk to you about it too, though. Because it, 
equally as corrupt as thinking it's by our power, it's thinking it's for our power. Remember the guy who came up to Jesus and the disciples and said, hey, I want to do what you do. He was a sorcerer. He was a magician. He was a trickster. And he knew all kinds of ways to deceive people. But he saw they had real power. He goes, I want real power. It was offensive, right? No. That's not what this is about. And so it's, it's not by our power or by our holiness, and it's not for our power or for our holiness. That means that um, it's not so that we can, you know, uh, lord it over people. It's not so we can domineer and, 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 and tisk tisk and all this stuff, right, with people who, who believe they're far from God. It's not what the point of God's work in their life is. If there's a miracle to be had, it's not the point. And it's not to prove our holiness. It's not for our holiness to go, oh, look how much holier we are. We've got to see, sometimes we get super excited. We hear people that get to experience amazing things with God, and, and we revere them. Don't we? I mean, man, that, that's a woman of God right there. That, that's a woman of God. I, I could tell because of what God's doing. That's a woman of God. And, and by saying that, we disclaim ourselves from the same opportunities that is not about the woman of God. It's not about the man of God. Peter says explicitly, it's not our power. It's not our godliness. It's not our ability, not our holiness. That's not how this has happened. And then he begins to explain how it happened. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. That's what has happened. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. That is, Pilate had decided to let Jesus go, but no, you wanted him killed. You disowned the holy and righteous one and you asked that a murderer be released to you instead, right? Barabbas is released in, Je in Jesus' name. You killed the author of life. Man, listen to the words. But God raised him from the dead. Like you killed the one who writes the book, but God raised him from the dead. And this becomes what's happening. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you all can see. So Peter says two things. The first thing he says, it's not our power, it's not our holiness. And the second thing is he says, it's in the name of Jesus. It's in the name of Jesus. You will see back in verse 6, if you care to look, Peter said, silver gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's how Peter believes the man will be healed. And then here he testifies, by faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. By the way, the healing that he received was a strengthening of his feet and ankles. That's the way the word reads. It was a strengthening of something he had since birth that finally served its purpose in his life. And he says, it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's in the name of Jesus. It's by faith in the name. So, what does that mean? I, I, this is the funny thing I just want to say. Do you think when Peter looked at the man and said, I got nothing to give you, but what I do have, I, I'm going to give you in the name of Jesus Christ to walk. Do you think Peter believed that God was going to make him walk? Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know how you read it and don't think that that's true. He didn't say it passively. He believed. Because the question is, did the man have faith or did Peter and John have faith in the moment? This is a tricky, you know, tricky situation because it's often we say, well, if that man has enough faith, he's going to get up and walk, right? And that gives everyone going to temple a pass. But do you believe that God can do something in that man's life that's going to change his life forever? Do you believe that? As the proclaimer of the gospel, as the knower of the Savior, as the one who knows you're loved and redeemed and heaven bound, do you believe that God can do something in that man's life? See, that's the question. Now, it's fair to say there's another part. He looked expectantly at these guys. I mean, this is different. I'm looking at you. I'm paying attention. You said, look, I'm looking. What do you, give me something. So he has a measure of faith. I just want to encourage you many times in our life, we get discouraged because of other people's lack of faith. My challenge is, where's ours? When you see that person, you just go, you know, again, same situation. You see it. (laughs) Where's our faith that God, in the name of Jesus, something amazing is going to happen in their life? Because Peter says it's, it's by faith in the name of Jesus that this man walks. That's how. Not our holiness, not our, our power, but because of Jesus, he walked. This is the faith that we ought to have and own as followers of Jesus. Believing that despite all circumstances, despite all signs to the contrary, despite all speculation that it could not possibly happen, we say, God's going to do a work. God's going to do a work. I believe it. And maybe you got a guy with you or a girl with you, and you say, what do you think of that situation? Oh, that's a mess. Do you think God's going to do work? Yes. We think God's going to do a work. Peter and John think God's going to do a work. We believe. Sometimes we try to externalize that responsibility to people who don't yet know God and say, it's your job to believe in Jesus. Well, how about we believe in Jesus first? How about we be the first one to have faith in Jesus' name, that he has the power to do the things that he wants to do in this life? What does it look like? We are witnesses that's what peter says we're just watching what god's doing we're witnesses of the fact that he's raised from the dead he has the power to do these things verse 17 now brothers i know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders but this is how god fulfilled what he had foretold to the prophets saying that the christ would suffer now peter's preaching again okay but here's what he says in verse 19 repent then And return to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the time of refreshing may come from our Lord, from the Lord. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. After all this stuff, the healing, people are being amazed. This is immediately what Peter says. This is for you. Believe in Jesus. Repent. That means change your mind. Change your mind about Jesus. Return to God. That's the command, right? Be converted. Be transformed. And come back so that you might receive a refreshing, that your sins might be blotted out. Where are they? In the temple court. They're probably offering sacrifice. They're probably trying to be good enough again. And the testimony is, This is for you. This is for you. And the command he gives, he says, repent to be clean and fresh. Repent to be clean and fresh. You you tired of your life being gross? You tired of trying to measure up again and being disappointed again, mad at yourself all over again? Let Jesus wash you. That's what it means. When it says, let your sins be wiped out, that's, 
it literally means to be washed over. Let, let your sins be cleansed. All the nooks and crannies, you know, the rough surface, I know the scars and the hurts. I know, I know. Let God wash them out, man. Let him get the saline in there, you know, and clean the wounds. Begin the healing. And then you will enter into a time of refreshment. The word means you can breathe again. That's what the proclamation is. Your sins are taken care of and you can breathe again. And then you will receive even Jesus. The one who is, look at the word says, appointed for you. Now he could be talking to Israel, appointed for Israel as the Messiah granted but he's appointed for every person as well it's, it's israel and the people who are hearing the gospel preached he is appointed for you that means today if you're here and you're hearing the gospel and you're like not for me no he is appointed for you that's why you're here today he is appointed for you the messiah the christ who will come again is appointed for you in your life and that's what this you know proclamation is about he's like this is the purpose you think it's for this guy's healing and the dancing and the worshiping it is but it's for you that you might have life that you might have healing, that you might be cleansed, that you might walk into the temple knowing you're right with God, bringing no money in your pocket, nothing but prayer in your heart because you know God's forgiven your sin. This is for you. And Peter teaches about Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now check this out. Because Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people and you must listen to everything he tells you. This is Jesus. Anyone who does not listen to him, Jesus, will be completely cut off from among the people, right? So like they're just making a claim that he is the Messiah appointed for you. And indeed all the prophets, I love this, from Samuel on and as many as have spoken have foretold of these days now. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. That's the purpose of Jesus' ministry. Turn and believe good news. I just wanted to throw that in because, again, all the prophets talk about Jesus. <laughs> all the prophets talk about Jesus. All right, verse, chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to close with this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were still speaking to the people. So these dudes rush over. Three groups of people. The priests, the captain of the guard, temple guard, which is probably a dude, and the Sadducees. They come running over to... They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus resurrection from the dead. Why is this a big deal? Because it's a threat to them. It's a threat to the whole system. If they believe Jesus was raised from the dead, and they believe he's the Messiah that has, been, has, has come, everything changes now. And they, they sense that. And so these three, the Sadducees, by the way, remember, did not believe in resurrection. So the whole thing they're teaching in the temple, they think is false. There's no resurrection. That's why they don't believe Jesus could be raised either. And so they, they're greatly disturbed. They come over. <clears throat> they seize Peter and John. And because it was evening, they throw them in jail until the next day. So Peter and John go off to jail for preaching the good news. Right? That's what happens. Somebody's healed. People are amazed. You go to jail. Check it out. But many who heard the message believed. And the number of men grew to around 5,000.
the gospel goes forward. <laughs> yeah. People are healed. People worship God. People are amazed. You go to jail. The gospel moves forward. Praise the Lord. You remember that it went from 12 to 120 to 3,000, now to 5,000. It was 3,000 plus. Now it's over 5,000 men. That's the first time we hear the word men attached to that. The church is growing. But it's growing due to the proclamation of the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray with you, and I want you to pray with me. I don't know where you came this morning, why you came, why you're here, what's going on in your life. But I want you to bring it before God this morning. I want you to think about that, that, that beggar sitting outside the temple gate and what he had to gain and what he had to lose, right? And what does God have for you? What does God have for you in this life? Maybe I want you to think of someone that you have a burden for. I want you to think, what do they have to gain and lose in Jesus Christ? I want to pray together in the name of Jesus. Pray with me if you would. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this great witness of this beggar who was carried by faithful friends to the temple just for alms for the day. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit dwelling in your church to see bigger issues than money for the day. We thank you for the good testimony that is given by Scripture that uh, you see our needs. For brothers and sisters today here who just feel they've been hurt, they've been hurt again, They've tried, they failed, they're broken, they don't get it, they can't move, they, they want your help. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would wash over them. I pray, Father God, that all those wounds that are so um, infected or festering, Father God, that your Spirit would, would do the work that only you can do. Would completely baptize them, would completely surround them, completely medicate them, completely cure them, heal them sitting at your gate outside of your people thinking that we don't belong. Father, would you heal us and make us whole and strong? Father, I pray the response to this, if you do work, is that we say praise God. <laughs> praise God. We would have the character and the boldness to not take any glory or any claim and say praise God. We only get to witness what you do. And Father, for those of us who have got heart sick, gut sick, feel like we prayed too much, waited too long. I pray, Father God, a, a prayer of patience that we believe in your good timing. You will do everything you purpose to do and that we can witness it, that there's a day called beautiful where your healing is poured out on your people. May we have faith, Father. May we believe again. We love you so much. We trust you with it. We know you're at work. Glorify yourself. Glorify yourself, Father. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.